0: Troy, have you ever been in a situation where you had to advocate for your health? I mean, you are know, like something wasn't right. It felt like you weren't getting the correct diagnosis. People
1: maybe weren't taking you seriously, something like that. Oh, absolutely, Scott. Yeah, I had one time where I was just having high fevers and just felt miserable and it just was not getting better. And I went to a doctor and I felt like he just kind of blew me off and I wasn't in healthcare at the time. You know, I was in medical school, but I really didn't know anything. I was in my first year and I really had to kind of push things a bit and go see someone else and was ultimately diagnosed with a salmonella infection. It's kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was bad. So I had to get IV (laughs) antibiotics and get treated. So, so, yeah, I think we all face those situations occasionally, but yeah, I definitely have.
2: Yeah. How about you, Mitch? Oh, for sure. And I've shared a couple on this this show. It's just, you know, I I I will go to the doctor and it's everything from, hey, I'm tired all the time. And they're like, I think you're depressed. I'm like, "Ugh, you know, I'm doing I'm doing all I need to with my mental health. I'm sure. Like, I don't think it's depression. And it it took a lot of pushing and getting a second opinion to find out that, you know, the the tiredness was linked to uh, testosterone rather than, say, seasonal depression or activity levels, et cetera, it was an actual, you know, uh, hormone difference.
0: Yeah. You know, sometimes we just know there's something wrong, but we can't seem to get the help we need. Uh, And it can be really frustrating and just easy to give up and just accept whatever is bothering us just as the way things are. Uh, And it's not necessarily, you know, this isn't about bashing on doctors or anything like that. It's just about, you know, advocating for your health. And today we've got a story from a guy who knew something was wrong did some research, stood up for himself, and eventually was able to get a diagnosis that made a huge difference in his quality of life. Today on Who Cares About Men's Health, it's dudes talking to other dudes about their health. We're going to bring in guys in our lives to talk about health, whether that's friends, colleagues, neighbors, whatever. And the goal, prove that just talking about health with other men can maybe, just maybe, give us some insight on how to improve our own lives. So that's today's show. This is Who Cares About Men's Health? With information, inspiration, and a different interpretation of men's health. I'm Scott Singpil. I bring the BS, the MD to my BS, Dr. Troy Matson. Hey, Scott. Good to be here. Mitch Sears, a guy that's just working on his health, and he always brings a unique perspective to the show. Welcome, Mitch. Hey, happy to be here. And our guest, Jonathan, uh, Mitch's longtime friend and companion who had to work really hard to get his doctors to listen and take his concerns seriously, which really highlights the importance of self-advocacy when it comes to your health Jonathan welcome to the show
3: hey guys good to be here uh, first tell us a little bit about yourself so I am uh, I'm 36 um, I have been working with sort of chronic pain issues since my teenage years and I have tried to you know try to figure out what what the deal was I was always told they were growing pains it's not a big deal. Um, and you know, men don't cry. So what, what's the big deal? Why would you, why would you pursue it? Um, but it got worse. And that was, uh, that's when I, I started to reach out to, uh, to medical help. And tell us about this pain. Like, what was it like? Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I, I had this weird pain in my heel and it was pretty obscure everyone said, ah, you're growing, your tendons are stretching out, they're growing pains, don't worry about it. And that's fine. Um, But then after a few uh, years of this, um, I started to really struggle with lower back pain, hip pain. And you look into it and people say like, is it a shooting pain? Is it a stabbing pain? I didn't know it it just it just hurt, right? Mm -hmm. It, It was bad enough that occasionally I would have to take time off of work, and I wouldn't be able to bear any weight on my lower back and hips. So I was actually, I would walk across the wall, you know, with your hands. And some days I, I really was crawling uh, from from wow. one room to the other. Like literally? Like literally, like fox wow. crawl across mm-hmm. the floor. Yeah, and this is in your 20s? In my 20s, early 20s. Yeah. Wow, yeah. That doesn't sound normal, Troy. Is that normal, Troy? <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, the
1: doctor's going to say, no, that's not. Yeah, that's a... Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's really concerning to have pain that severe that you really can't even walk.
0: So you bring this pain up up through your twenties, and when you do, it's kind of dismissed. It sounds like. Would you say that's accurate?
3: Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, my sort of family history, people were complaining about back pain. I had a grandfather that said, "Ah, it was the jeeps in World War II that whatever it was," and so it 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 was, it was a, a subject of some concern. But ultimately, it was pretty strange as to how to you know, how to deal with it or or what to to call it.
0: So then after being discouraged so many times, you know, uh, talking about it or trying to seek out help, what finally then made you decide, you know what, uh, this isn't right. I have to do something. I have to find somebody that can help me.
3: So I was really happy that I was lucky enough to get an apartment downtown. It was really close to tracks to uh, the light rail here in Salt Lake City. And I was late for a train one morning. And I remember being unable, I had a little bit of a flare up that day and I was unable to run. And it was more of like an embarrassing, like spirited hobbling that I was doing <laughs> down the street to catch the train. And I missed the train. I missed the train. I was late for work and, you know, I kept my job and it was okay. But it was it was I was in my mid-20s at this point. And I figured that this is dumb. This is this is really dumb. That I I'm not able to to run or to have even if I wanted to be more active in my lifestyle,
2: I had a real barrier to that. So just going back, when you say, you know, you had a family history of it, did that like even make you doubt yourself? Like, I mean, you weren't doing Jeeps in World War II, right? Like, you know, when you talk to family members and stuff, like, did it make it seem like it was just something everyone had?
3: Well, totally. So, and it, it kind of coincides. So the first time I went to the doctor with really this being the complaint, the doctor sort of looked me over and, nah, and, you know, he turns me around and he pokes my buttock a little bit and he's looking for the sciatic nerve and he hits it and it hurts and he goes, ah, sciatica, what can you do? And I want to say, well, <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for, dude. Like, what? What do yeah. I do? What like, do is do? there, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know. But he said, look, it's, uh, you know, it, w- ibuprofen, physical therapy, and, and off you go. So one thing about physical therapy is that it's not always covered with insurance. Mm. And in my case, it was about a hundred bucks a pop and he wanted me to do it like two to three times a, a month. So it was a considerable out of pocket expense. I was a little hesitant to start it and ultimately felt a little dismissed. Um, but yeah, to Mitch's point, like Yeah. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe, maybe it's just some genetic thing. I don't know. It's just something we struggle with and we carry on. Yeah. It's funny how
1: often that happens though. Like in your case, you just kind of wrote it off. You said, well, other people in my family have experienced this and this is just the way it is until it sounds like it got to a point where it was so limiting that that was a wake up call when you finally just missed work because you couldn't even like run. You're hobbling down the street where you're just like, Hey, this isn't normal. A jaunty hobble. Wait, what a was John it? T- was that the word? Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, let's a jaunty right. t- like, hobble. Like, exactly. That's correct. Try to give him,
1: yeah, to give yeah. him some
0: dignity, okay? He <laughs> was
1: spirited. He was a spirited <laughs> hobble. Spirited hobble. Yeah. That's right.
0: <laughs> and Not only did Jonathan dismiss it, like the healthcare professional dismissed it. And I can't tell you how frustrating that is. With my dad, who um, was in his 80s, he would complain about things and the doctors would be like, oh, it's just part of getting old. Like he couldn't swallow; eating was no longer something he could really do. And they're just like, "Oh, it's part of getting old." His legs would tingle and get cold. Oh, it's just all part of getting old. Maybe you wow. should stop drinking so much coffee. You know that that just kind of that dismissive. I don't know why that happens. Troy, do you have any insight why that happens? And it happened to Jonathan. Like, you know, it happens, oh, it's, yeah, sciatic so- nerve. I guess you know, go do therapy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it happens because ninety plus percent of the time they're right. And you can't deny that 90 plus percent of the time they're right. And in those cases, a person, it may just be some sciatica and they go to physical therapy and they get better. It's the same idea, you know, when you call computer support and they're like, well, did you turn your computer off and back on? Like, well, of course I did. But like some people haven't done that. And then it's like, well, you know, so so you're going to walk through all these steps before someone finally realizes, okay. You've taken all the steps. It's not working. Something else needs to be done. And I see this all the time in the ER because we get so many patients who have gone to doctors and gone elsewhere and have been frustrated and haven't gotten answers and have felt blown off. And they finally are like, well, I'm going to the U and I'm going to figure this out. And I can't say we always figure it out, but they're frustrated uh, but again, I think it's just normal human behavior where, where you say, well, common things being common, let's try the common things first. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of have to expect that. And as, as you're working through the medical system, you kind of have to jump through the hoops, but then you just have to keep pushing when sure. those answers
3: aren't there.
0: So Jonathan, after the, so did you do some physical therapy and do some of the things that was
3: suggested at first? And then where did it go from there? No, it took me probably a year to wisen up to one, the cost and two, just sort of the embarrassment of the situation to actually commit to it. When I first met with the doctor, one thing that I had noticed personally was this weird food sensitivity to when I would have flare ups. And despite looking at the internet and trying to figure out if that's relevant to anything, um, I couldn't find much. And so I brought this up, hoping that the doctor could illuminate this. And and, and he like, like the rest of it, he didn't really have much to say. And it was after that meeting, I'm on the app where you can look at your chart and whatever else. And I happened to find the note from the examination visit. And it goes on to say something like uh, oh, patient presents lower back pain, hip pain, so forth. And, you know, advocates for the special diet of Dr. So-and-so. And uh, I encourage him to eat healthily. And this Dr. So-and-so I'm, I'm, I'm omitting intentionally because I didn't know who this guy was. So it was essentially, a, it was a note on my chart of a conversation I didn't exactly have. When I looked this guy up, he turned out to be a celebrity, self-helpy, anti-inflammatory Ugh. diet guy, the kind of guy that you'd like buy his book in an, in an airport or something. <laughs>
2: sure. Right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I thought at first it was like, oh, you know, they've made a mistake. They they've switched my note with someone else. And then I thought, wait, did I just get profiled?
2: Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. From a communication standpoint, I can I completely understand what just happened there, right? Like that doctor has some sort of preconceived notion of that individual, which it sounds like could be accurate, right, Jonathan? I mean, you kind of maybe made the same conclusion. Sure. Heard that information and then just kind of, you know, d- you know, didn't pay attention the rest of the time or just thought, oh, it's another one of these, right? Just goes with kind of their preconceived notions. Troy, sure, yeah. do you think
1: that's right or not? Yeah, I do, and it it brings up a great point. Doctors are are human; they are they are prone to every potential bias you can imagine. You there are so many studies out there looked at physician biases for for any amount any any sort of demographic characteristics, or like you said, even looking specifically at like biases in terms of diet, or even diagnoses. If certain people have had certain diagnoses, that creates bias so it happens there's absolutely no question about it and it's something that i think as physicians we try to acknowledge that and we try to avoid those biases but but yeah i mean someone may hear a certain thing and it sounds like in this doctor's mind he immediately associated you with this um this 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 diet and this individual and and everything you said then kind of went back to that so and i think when that happens you just have to say well i'm going to go see someone else if if you're yeah. already being kind of pigeonholed and saying, well, this is what your problem is, and it's clearly not the case, then I think you need to be willing to to go get another opinion. And you bring up a great point, too. Like, I think from my perspective, I think
0: doctors know it all, right? But you're right. They're humans. So, yeah. Um, and each doctor is going to have different areas that they're going to know more or less about. You know, even general oh, yeah. practitioners, right, mm-hmm. are going to have, you know, and and there's been times where I have these weird thumbnails. And I, for a long time, would ask every doctor I visited, what's causing this? And they had no idea. And then one day I was at a dermatology appointment and the guy looks at my nails and he goes, oh my gosh, that's this condition and blah, blah, blah. And this is what causes it. Like, yeah. you know, it was it was crazy. So uh, sometimes you do have to remember they're human and maybe that particular one doesn't have the answers or for whatever reason, you weren't able to communicate effectively with them and you have to try somebody else.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You got to figure you know, you go to four years of medical school, three years of residency, and then you have certain people who then go on and do another three to four years of fellowship training and specialization. And obviously, people certain with certain specialties specialties are going to be more adapt, adept and, and more capable of diagnosing certain conditions. So that's just a simple reality that, yeah, number one, there are limitations in terms of bias. Number two, there are knowledge limitations and um, so yeah, just because you hear one thing from one doctor, you could go to another doctor and get something completely different. And so that's, again, that's why I think you have to advocate for yourself. And if you're not getting the answers you need, go get another opinion.
0: I want to get back to Jonathan and your story and continuing this, but I think another interesting point is if you're going to see a male doctor, if they have biases, that means they might also have this uh, opinion that, you know, you shouldn't complain. Like to some extent, Unless you're in there with a broken arm, you shouldn't complain. Men do not complain about their health, right? They would have those same potential biases, wouldn't they, Troy?
1: Uh potentially, yeah. I I think that's possible. I I would I mean, not say I would like not say top, to assume that from, from yeah. a man, but
0: like at the top of the show, yeah. you even talked about like you're a doctor and you still
1: have some of these biases. Oh yeah. There's no question. But but again, I'm a horrible patient, so don't think I treat my patients the way I, the way I treat myself as a patient. So, right. so don't, don't, don't think that at all. But, but you're right. But I would not assume also just, you know, I think you have to be careful as a patient and your assumptions as well that I don't think you want to go in assuming because of a person's gender or race, anything else that they're going to have necessarily certain biases associated with that. But I think you just have to recognize that doctors are human. They have biases. They have knowledge gaps, and I think that's just the bottom line.
0: What happened to you, Jonathan, after that visit? Then, where, where did you go from there? Were you discouraged, or did you continue on? So
3: I, I do go to um, physical therapy. I decide that 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 is ultimately what's needed, but not without a follow up, where I learn kind of a uh, a double edged sword of being a enthusiastic patient. I came in a year later. You know, having felt dismissed, I come back to the same doctor. So I didn't look for a new, a second opinion. I, I should have. I go back to the same doctor. And this time I'm armed with many, many hours of WebMDs slash everything else you could think of, PubMed, anything that I could find. And I say, doctor, I have ankylosing spondylitis and yeah. I think I need a referral to a rheumatologist. Yeah, And I don't know how many doctors maybe listening to this, enjoy it when their patient comes in and (laughs) self-diagnoses. It's usually a hit with doctors,
1: you know. Doctors don't have (laughs) egos at all. They usually love it when you do that.
3: Especially when it's a particularly rare, bizarre, genetic (laughs) rheumatoid arthritic type condition.
2: Right. Oh yeah. No, I when I was looking up some of the numbers, like a Johns Hopkins study done just the last five years, it's like point four out of a hundred thousand people, like it's yeah. it's a really rare disorder.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that went over incredibly well. I I'm curious what was his reaction when you said that. Uh, ibuprofen
3: and physical therapy. It was a, <laughs> it was the same thing as a year prior. So I, I jumped through those hoops. Yeah. You know, I, I do about three months of physical therapy. There is improvement, but not as much as they were hoping. I can now I can now run. So I, or jog, which was pretty significant in my case. And so that was good. And I go back to the doctor, I say, okay, are we good for a rheumatologist? He says, no, I'm going to refer you now to a physiatrist. And I had never heard of this before. What is a physiatrist? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I, I was about did. to say. Like you got, a you what? Got, you got a couple other guys that haven't either. <laughs> uh, best I could gather, it's an MD, sports medicine, and he is um, certified to do sort of like steroid injections into the spine uh, to, yeah. to bring down inflammation. That's all I know.
1: Yeah, it's someone who's done residency training in physical medicine and rehabilitation, which is call PM&R. So yeah, that's exactly it. And they work with people with, there's a sports medicine component to it. And like you said, injections, those sorts of things. So you're right.
0: So mm. at this point, Troy, the doctors are no longer trying to look for the, the, the cause. They're just trying to manage the symptoms, it sounds like.
1: It sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like whoever was seeing Jonathan was fairly convinced that this was just a sciatica thing. and. You know, there, it sounds like he very much kind of anchored on this diagnosis of like a bulging disc in the spine where you have a disc that bulges out the side and that pushes on the sciatic nerve and that causes pain. And that was the primary source. Um, and it's a pretty common approach. And like I said, most of the time, that's what causes at least some, some of these symptoms. There were definitely some symptoms with Jonathan that didn't really make sense with that, uh, but most of the time, physical therapy works. And then if that doesn't work, you can see someone who can do injections and they can do injections right there at that bulging disc. And that can oftentimes help with a with a steroid injection there. But, um, but it's exactly it. It sounds like at this point, it was very much like, well, this is the case. Um, this is the treatment route we're going to take. Physical therapy didn't work. Let's try injections.
0: So same doctor, two different times. Um, is there something, Troy, Jonathan could have done with this doctor to perhaps continue this conversation of what Jonathan thought it was? Because it sounded like the doctor was very closed to that.
1: Yeah, I think at that point, if you really think it's something else and you're continuing to be continuing to be pushed down this other route where he's very much anchored on this diagnosis of sciatica and you're just like, no, this isn't the case. Um, I just think at this point it sounded like it wasn't getting anywhere. Like I, if someone came in, you know, it is always a challenging situation because sometimes people come in and they have looked things up on WebMD and have looked things up on Google. And it's just like, no, nah, that's not the case. Like, because sometimes you can kind of go down the rabbit hole with some of the Google stuff you find. But it, it again, it sounds like in this case, things just weren't going the right direction. And none of this was effective. Like I would expect at least some response to physical therapy. Like it, it sounds like maybe there's a little response, but I would expect a bit more than that. Um. So in my opinion, at this point, if things just weren't going the direction they needed to go, yeah, I think it's a great idea to go see someone else and see what they think. And what did
3: you do, Jonathan? Well, so I continued to do research and something had come up that didn't occur to me before. I was really hung up on this food sensitivity thing. And it seemed it was one of the few things I had control over as a patient Mm -hmm. that if I eat if I drank alcohol, especially, there was a flare up and I, I could control that. The, the ibuprofen was starting to not help so much. And the physiatrist gave me a muscle relaxant at one point to do sort of as needed. And it was at one point where I, I was interested in this kind of taking it down a rheumatology route where it talked about iritis. And it just happened to be that in college, I had this weird stint of, of a, an inflamed eyeball such that you have a weird shaped pupil. Um, I happened to be with family at the time, and so they run me to the ER, and they treat it. It's with a topical steroid, and then it was done. It was a it was non sequitur to me as a patient, as someone who didn't go to to med school. And so I bring this up, this extra piece up to now the physiatrist, who says, "Ooh, well that's like you mean iritis, like iritis, like you like the inflammation of the of the iris." And it's like, yeah, yeah, that. That that thing I had that huh. thing. Have you had it since? And he mean, no. He said, "Well, there is a blood test we can do for genetic markers for certain rheumatoid conditions. What do you think?" And I say, "Heck yes!" And I didn't know hmm. about this. So we finally there feels like a, a breakthrough in movement there. Um, and long story short, I was positive for those genetic markers, and I got the referral to the rheumatologist. Nice. So you got where you needed to go
1: then. I mean, it took a while, but eventually you got there, and it's it's great that this other
3: physician, this physiatrist, picked up on that. Yeah, it really was, and it was unfortunately it was like an eight month wait list. I don't know how much yeah. you want to lament the you know the the medical institution at whole here, but it was yeah. it was basically a two year journey to finally go to the uh, to get to the rheumatologist. Yeah, no, and
1: again, that's that's it's so frustrating, but that's not atypical, unfortunately.
0: How did the physiatrist know? How was that even in their wheelhouse? Sure, yeah,
1: yeah. I I think it's. I mean, it's something they've they may have seen before. It would be something that potentially a physiatrist would work with someone with ankylosing spondylitis, maybe in some degree, just in terms of range of motion, mobility, those kind of things. So it's that that may be part of it, but it also may be you're just fortunate to have a physiatrist who was very attuned to that and very open to making that connection, you know, and and finally got you where you needed to go.
0: Did you feel that the physiatrist was open more to conversations that they didn't kind of have their mind pre-made up as to what was going on?
3: Yeah. And I also think I learned the lesson of not coming in and and telling the doctor how to you know, diagnose me. So that was that was stupid on my part. But I, I do I do admit to going into the psychiatrist's office and saying, "Okay, look, I think it's this, but I'm not going to say anything. I will just report the symptoms that I know are in the literature that are true to me. And I'm not making anything up, mm-hmm. and add this one part that was missing. And you know, to you know, to be fully fair to the first physician, had I mentioned the iritis case, it, it could have been very different. And that's, you know, from a patient's perspective, you know, I didn't know that iritis was any more connected than chickenpox. And, you know, I, so when, when you have that 15 minute window with your doctor and they say, well, what, what's happening, what's going on, you know, deciding what's relevant as a patient can be a challenge. Yeah, change.
1: totally. Yeah, yeah, it is. But all that being said though, Jonathan, I I think if someone has a specific concern about a specific condition I do really appreciate it if they just say, This is what I'm really concerned about. Um, it is frustrating that you specifically brought that up and then it didn't really go anywhere with the the first physician you saw because I think it's at least worth saying, Well, why do you think that's the case, and let's explore this further and then maybe ask those questions like, Well, have you ever experienced iritis or have you ever experienced any of these other symptoms that are associated with this condition to at least give it some thought and explore it a little bit further? Um, so I, I always tell people, if you have something you're specifically concerned about, bring it up, like, don't necessarily tell the doctor, this is what it is. Because again, that some people are open to that. A lot of people are just going to just shut down as soon as you do that. Um, but I think it's worth at least bringing it up and, and doing so, you know, acknowledging like, Hey, I'm not a physician. Um, I just, I had these symptoms. I've read some things about it. What do you think? You know, just kind of that approach. So then you were referred to the rheumatologist
0: and you got the diagnosis.
3: Yeah, within a couple of visits, uh, she diagnosed me with, and I say a she, we mentioned the the guy versus gal doctor thing. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, she was very receptive to everything. She appreciated the way I was trying to, you know, problem solve for things. And, you know, developing, you know, that kind of relationship, had that been possible with the first doctor, it could have been very different. Uh, she was great. So yes, she diagnosed me with ankylosing spondylitis, put me on a, a pretty powerful medication It's called a biologic is the general family name of it and it's been i, I can run i participated in the mitch sears what was it called the 5k, <laughs> 5K who cares 5K, about yeah. mitch's health 5k <laughs> yeah, yeah. 5K, i did yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> pull the thread on that A little oh briefly. yeah the
0: yeah, pinnacle great. i'm sure of your your health journey <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> that's great yeah
0: wow what a journey and how yes. much time, how much time did you spend on the internet trying to figure this out? How many websites did you go to? And I mean, if you yeah. had some advice to give to, a, to somebody about how to research something like this, did you, did you pick up any pointers or is it yeah. just, you just got to log the time?
3: You know, it, it seemed to me that there was, there was a lot of garbage online. I want to say there was a lot of like weird rabbit holes with leaky gut syndrome because I was hooked on this food sensitivity thing. And that was maybe a non sequitur. Later, it turned out to be a sensitivity towards FODMAPs, which is a whole different thing. Sure. But these are different sort of complex sugars that some people have a hard time digesting. And maybe there is, you know, some cofactors there. I don't know. But it's just, it was just treated differently. Um, stay humble. You know, realize that the, the guy or gal in the examination room, probably if they if they're doing their job right, really do want to help you figure things out and find someone who is working with you. And, and the normal relationship, I think, I hope for a patient is to feel like they're being heard and being at least reasoned with if, and it's up to the doctor to keep me from going down a rabbit hole instead of just outright dismissing me and, you know, giving you ibuprofen and sending you to uh, PT.
1: Yeah. And it is, it is tough. And I think you just always keep that in mind that you're, when you're going to a primary care provider, you're seeing someone who may be seeing three to four patients an hour, has a 15 minute window with you, and they may see 20 other patients that day who have similar symptoms and they may have that response. So again, I think just accept those limitations and accept that you're trying just to work through the system and then don't don't be don't hesitate to go see someone else if you need to and um yeah, I think that's my takeaway just because again, I see so many patients who are in a similar situation uh who are frustrated, who have been trying to work in the system, just aren't getting an answer and aren't getting the referrals they need um, but I, I, and you did exactly the right thing you you jumped through the hoops and you followed the path that this physician laid out and then you saw someone else and and they fortunately had an answer for you so it, and i think the you i'm sure you've met others who also have a diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis at least like on an online forum or something and i'm guessing there are others out there who have gone through that process for years and years and years and it was maybe 10 years down the road and they finally got a diagnosis so um so it can be a something you just have to keep keep searching for answers until you find the right person who can help you
3: So challenging because it is, it's pain and pain is subjective and trying to figure out how that connects to a wider health story about a person that it's tough.
0: Yep. Yep. And especially as a man, right? Like pain is subjective. You should be able to deal with it. It's probably not that bad, right? I mean, (laughs) you can hobble. Yeah, you can hobble. (laughs) Exactly. Jonathan, what is the one thing you would like a listener to take away when it comes to your health and being an advocate? Like, if you could go on top of the mountaintop with our bullhorn here, what would you shout to all
3: the men listening? Yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think one of the ways to Mm -hmm. keep it from being confrontational is to say, okay, is to not come in with a diagnosis necessarily, right? But to ask questions about it. Say, look, I have questions about this, this particular situation. It seems relevant. Maybe it's not keep it humble, understand that it's a partnership with you and your healthcare provider. You know, it's a little bit, there's been a change over the past few years of you listen to your doctor because doctor's always right to this more collaborative approach. And I've certainly seen it even being 36, people who are younger are going to be more accustomed to the new way of doing things. Older patients may prefer being told what to do. Um, (laughs) But ask questions, I think would be the the number one thing that I wish I did uh, years ago. Yeah, that's, that's a great point you brought
1: up too, Jonathan. There are more and more studies out there too on what's just referred to as shared decision-making where it's not like the doctor says, well, you need this test or you need this. You know, As a doctor, I can say, well, you know, I think the odds of it are this, just based on what you're telling me, we could do this test to search more for it. For me, it comes up a lot more with abdominal pain or heart attacks you know, or diagnosing chest pain. I shouldn't really say heart attacks, but just, chest pain of saying, well, could be this, it could be this. These are the tests we can do. This is what I recommend. You know, I think the odds of it being this are 2%. But if we need to get a CT scan, um, you know, let's make that decision together, you know. So shared decision making is very important. And it's a great point you make, Jonathan. It's a team effort. And uh, don't expect just to the doctor to have all the answers and 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 hopefully they're not in a position where they feel that they need to tell you this is the way it is and you can at least talk through these things with them.
0: Jonathan, I, I can't even like the way you stuck with it uh, was amazing and inspiring. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. And I'm glad that you finally found some satisfaction. You're able to get back to a quality of life. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than not being able to do things that you want to do, right? or things Absolutely. that you have to do. Like yeah, when you're late. Catch a late bus. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, you know, so you, you stuck with it. You had confidence to stick with it. You did a lot of research. You did work out that partnership, uh, with your physician. And I think it's just really, really awesome. And it's a good lesson for all of us guys to learn. So do you have a health issue that's been unresolved and maybe you need to advocate more strongly for your health or maybe a story like Jonathan's? We want to hear it. You can reach out via Our email, that's hello at thescoperadio.com, hello at thescoperadio.com. And if you do have something going on, we hope this episode will motivate you to advocate for your health, even though it might be time consuming and it's a pain and it can be discouraging. In Jonathan's case, it was worth it and it might be worth it in your case too. Thanks for listening and thanks for caring about men's health.